Without doubt, cartoons are controversial. They provoke strong responses. Some have even been banned or have led to violence. To use our guest's phrase, they engage with the absurdity of the world. And this episode explores just that. This is the Irish Global Solidarity in 100 Objects podcast from developmenteducation.ie. Those of you who would have been in contact with the work of 8020 or have read an edition of 8020 Development in an Unequal World will be familiar with its use of cartoons. They're a great tool to have in your development education kit for stimulating conversation and debate. I think because of this fact, it was particularly exciting to be able to include two original cartoons from Martin in the exhibition. They illustrate, both literally and figuratively, what is fundamental to development education the encouragement of creative interactions with potentially heavy issues, as well as a tongue-in-cheek reflection on current events. The I ran the world, I run the world, I ruin the world cartoon, which was one featured in the exhibition, hung in my house when I was growing up. And while I always understood the literal meaning of what was drawn on it, the more I grew up, the more the meaning changed, or perhaps evolved is the better word, how it evolved in my head. Even now, it's still so relevant, and that cartoon is 20, 25 years old at least. For this episode, the founder of 8020, geography nerd, activist and my dad, Colm Regan, talks to a somewhat reluctant revolutionary, in my words, a bigot, in his words, and citizen of the world, cartoonist Martin Turner. From common sense views of the world to the evolution of the 7525 cartoon, here's old friends, Colm and Martin. For many years now, I've been involved in education, particularly around human rights, environment and development. And in that process, I've gotten to know a lot of people, one of whom we're going to meet today. My name is Colm Regan, and I'm a development educator. I'm here today with uh, Martin Turner, a name that will probably be familiar to many of you, Ireland's currently most known cartoonist, political cartoonist. He is scourge of many a politician, uh, an attacker of pomposity and hypocrisy. And uh, so uh, welcome to the podcast, uh, Martin. I'm going to ask you to introduce yourself to our listeners. I'm Martin Turner. And what is your profession? I don't have a profession. I have a trade. Okay, so you don't have a profession. You have a trade, and and what is that trade? <laughs> I draw cartoons. And when did you start drawing cartoons? And why did you start doing that? What happened that made you become a cartoonist? I, I, I was a journalist before I was a cartoonist. Okay, and when did you begin to work with the Irish Times? Um, Forty-nine and three-quarter years ago. Mm-hmm. And how did that itself come about? Um, I went and asked them if I could draw cartoons. 
And uh, two of the editors said yes, and about five of the editors said no. Was it because the Irish Times didn't have a cartoonist? They were looking for a cartoonist? Or was it because they didn't appreciate the importance of political cartooning? They had a, they had a weekly illustration, which was a cartoon. And they had had a cartoonist before that, hmm. who uh, did it for about six months and then gave up. I started doing a, a weekly caricature for the Northern Ireland column, because we lived in Northern Ireland at the time. And then I started doing a weekly cartoon for the forum page. Then I started doing a weekly strip cartoon for the Europe, Europe page when we joined the EU. And then they decided it might be cheaper if I worked there the whole time rather than being paid for individual items. And they gave me a year's contract, and that's the last we discussed it, really. I've just been doing the same thing ever since and waiting for them to tell me to stop. <laughs> um, do you want to describe to our listeners how you used to send cartoons to the paper? Because I think for younger people... And for people nowadays in the digital world, describing how it was done originally is actually quite informative and even amusing. Well, I've done all sorts of ways. They used to come down on the train from Belfast. Then they used to come from the bus on the bus from Kilcullen. And then the editor went to London and was embarrassed by the independent laughing when he said that my cartoons came in on the bus. So he bought me a fax machine. And then I discovered that computers work quite well, so I started doing them on the computer. And before that, you literally walked down the road for your house to the, to the corner, you waited for the bus to arrive, you handed the cartoon to the bus driver, and it went into Dublin and the paper picked it up. Well, I used to do that. There were two buses every day. There was one at 11 and one at 6. And if I got it on the 11 o'clock one, the bus driver quite often used to walk up to the Irish Times with it because he had a long wait between getting to Dublin and driving back to Craig Manor. <laughs> Let me ask you about your cartooning, which is the essence of what we're going to discuss. You're well known. In fact, some people might say you're famous, not just in Ireland, but also internationally. I know from my own experience that you're well known internationally, famous or infamous in many cases. Um, the thing that's striking me most about your cartoons is that they have a very strong wider world perspective. It is visible and consistent in your cartooning. You've not shied away from covering human rights issues, from environmental issues, controversial issues, most noticeably Northern Ireland. What would you say is your perspective on the world and why do you cover those issues? I've always had problems understanding things. I don't understand things like nationalism or religion. Or, so as half the problems in the world are caused by nationalism or religion, I kind of um, find it funny in a way, or daft or stupid. So I don't really think of it as a worldview because we all live on the same planet. I really find it hard to distinguish between people in one country and another country. And I think we're all the same. Um, like all frogs are the same and all cows are the same. You can't have an Irish cow and a French cow. My interest is the world rather than just this neck of the woods. But you've also taken a fairly strong rights perspective in your work. Yes, but that's just common sense. I mean, 
do unto others as you would have done unto you. I mean, that applies in every situation, whether you're in Mississippi or in Africa or in China. or So, I mean, human rights are only essentially good manners. And I don't see why people should be bad-mannered just because they live in Paraguay or if they live in Mongolia. Like, it doesn't make sense. People put, like to put labels on things. If, if you live your life trying to treat people the way you would want to be treated yourself, you kind of arrive at the same conclusion as I would, I would have thought. Okay, so you come from London. That's your background. A particular part of London. And you grew up there and in that context. And you then moved to Northern Ireland. So where do you think that perspective that you use and that you have came from? What influenced you to look at the world that way? Can you identify moments, books, influences, people, programs? What? (laughs) I remember we were in Malta once and I made some comment to... um, some of the participants about not believing in God since I was about seven or eight, and they couldn't really believe that. And I told them the story about asking my father whether Father Christmas existed, and he said no. And then I said, what about the tooth fairy? And my father said no. And then as he was leaving the room, he said, and that Jesus is a bit dodgy too. I got me thinking, and that's, and I suppose that's just the way it kind of worked out. But it's strange, Ray. I never, nobody ever sort of lectured me on something. Or um, I can remember the school being quite funny about trying to prevent a bunch of English public schoolboys not being racist by saying things like, <laughs> "Would you want a black man to live next door to you?" And you'd say, "Everyone said no, 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 no." So, and then I'd say, at the time, there was a, a girl called Millie who was top of the. Um, chance singing a song called My Boy Lollipop. And then they said, well, would you like Millie to live next door to you? And everyone said, oh, yes, yes, yes. And this is, this is supposed to be the great lesson that, <laughs> that black people were okay. I, 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 just, I just found that sort of stuff amusing, whereas everybody else took it as a life lesson. I mean, the whole notion of racism is just so absurd that how can you not do anything but laugh at it? So you think cartooning is, in essence, laughing at absurdity? I do, yeah. But I mean, in a serious way. Because that's one of the things I've always been impressed by and often talked to you about. A lot of people have commented on that to me. Your cartoons are funny, but the minute you notice they're funny, they're vicious. The humor is there, but also the barb is there. People laugh and then they're almost embarrassed about laughing, or there's a very strong ouch factor in the cartoon. The two cartoons featured in the Irish Global Solidarity in 100 Objects exhibition, perhaps two that you're most associated with from our perspective, the best known one being the original 7525 cartoon, which shows the world as an imbalanced balancing act. What made you draw cartoons like that? Well, I think I think I kind of drew that because it was almost illustrating the concept of what we were discussing in the book. You know, you, you have to have some motivation for doing something. There's no point just sitting there drawing cartoons. That's part of the attraction of working for a newspaper because you have to produce something. You know, I didn't wake up this morning saying I really want to do a cartoon. 
a lot of it, you're just grinding out stuff and then you're hoping every now and again you get something right. But what you think is right and what other people think is right are two totally different things. I, as an experiment, I started putting the cartoons on Twitter about two years ago. And I find it really weird that the cartoons people like and the cartoons people don't like, they, they never bear any relation to what I think is good and what I think is bad. Or, but it's like all things. You, you're better off to say something than say nothing. And somewhere along the line, you might influence someone to change their mind about something or do something. Hmm. So you draw cartoons to try to influence people's way of looking at the world and thinking about the world. Well, I do. Yes, I think so. I, that's really why I do it. And in terms of development issues, because of our work together in development and human rights, development issues for you are are what? Some of the more important issues? Well, they just came back and said to you earlier, they're just common sense and being polite. You know, why should someone else have more than someone else and why should someone else exploit someone and so on and so forth? Most recently, Martin, you published a cartoon which used a methodology I have seen you use many times. It was a cartoon about what you described as our diseased world. You had two globes. One was the coronavirus one, and the other one was human rights abuses around the world. Our diseased world. What did you get out of it? I got out of it something you told me a long time ago that has stayed with me. Yeah. That one of the characteristics about being a cartoonist is that you see something on a daily basis or in passing, and you think, hmm, I can turn that on its head and use it in exactly the same way, but totally differently. Yeah. And I remember you did a cartoon a long time ago about Dennis Taylor, the snooker player. And you said to me, oh, I can use that because Dennis Taylor had glasses that looked like they were upside down. And you subsequently used it in a cartoon about Gareth Fitzgerald reading the results of an opinion poll and trying to read it with Dennis Taylor glasses to make it look better. Well, that's the, the cartoon in today's paper is two drawings. And the first one is about people holding toilet paper. This time last year, everybody was running around holding toilet paper. And we were all saying they were crazy. And this is awful. This is terrible. And now you see... America and Britain and the EU are all holding vaccines. And everybody thinks this is wonderful. And yet it's exactly the same process. Like, they got in a terrible panic and they've all bought 10 times as much vaccine as they're ever going to need. And oh, somewhere down the line, they might actually think of giving it to some other people who might need it. But at the moment, we're all cheering because even Ireland can now vaccinate the whole population four times over if they want to. And this is, this is supposed to be good government, but this is kind of crazy government. Like, why does the EU need a billion and a half vaccines for 250,000 people? Why does America need a billion and a half vaccines for 250 million people, sorry? And, like, why can't people see that it's equally daft to hold toilet paper as it is to hold vaccines. It's, like it's the same process. Um, I remember years ago, Martin, we did a workshop together, a workshop on world hunger, which for many people would be a very touchy and sensitive subject to be drawing cartoons about. 
And you made the point, which stayed with me very strongly, that it seems that it's always fat people who talk about world hunger. Is that the kind of absurdity that you're referring to? Well, yes, I suppose so. Everything is kind of absurd. I mean, if you, you just have to get the right angle on it. Okay, let me go to one of the key questions that comes up all the time in your work and in cartooning, especially political cartooning. It has come up in the context of cartoons in the original 7525 and in the other one that's in the exhibition, I Ran the World, I Run the World. And that is the question of cartoonists using stereotypes. Do you think cartoonists do use stereotypes? How do you respond to the question, is that fair? Is that reasonable? In a way, you have to, because you're communicating. And if you want to draw a group of people, <laughs> it's, it's a kind of a species argument, because, yeah, okay, everybody's different. I accept that. But then we're dealing in groups of people all the time. So you don't have a lot of choice. You have to deal in the stereotypes. The fun is to turn the stereotype on its head. And when you use a stereotype, you're doing it tongue-in-cheek. I remember there was a big fuss about a cartoon in The Australian last year when an American lady who was Japanese beat one of the Williamses in a tennis match. And for some reason, this guy drew a cartoon about her getting really stroppy about it. And everywhere it went around the world as being racist and so on and so forth. And... They pointed out that, apart from anything else, that they drew her much darker than she was, and they drew the other lady, even though the other lady is quite interesting. She's half Samoan, half Japanese. Okay. Yeah, another time she had a, a lovely sort of ponytail made out of um, blonde hair. So she had her normal black hair, and she had this ponytail sitting out of that. And apart from the way they didn't like the cartoon, they accused the cartoons of being racist and saying they made Serena Williams was blacker. Like, I can't quite see what's wrong with being blacker or whiter or anything like that, but anyway, they go upset about that. As the cartoonist pointed out, these days with Photoshop, you just take a photograph of the person and you pick the colour of the skin and you can translate that directly into the cartoon. So the cartoon was exactly the right colour because he'd done it by using Photoshop, and yet people got very upset about it. And it kind of says a lot more about the people who get upset than the people who do the cartoons, I think. Yes, I, I remember some time ago we went to a meeting together, and at that meeting you were criticised by a Republican and uh, who suggested that you might offend people, and you said uh, in typically Martin Turner style, political cartoonist style that you knew people who would travel a hundred miles just to be insulted. They used to bust people around the place. <laughs> okay, a last question, maybe a slightly different and uh, unusual question to ask a cartoonist, but with regard to young people looking at your cartoons and picking up on the absurdities that you point out and that you draw and that you connect together, and if they were to be moved in some way to want to try to engage with those issues, would you have any thoughts or any advice to offer them? Political cartoons are designed to make people think. Yeah. That's it. You, you, you know, they always express an opinion of one sort or another, and you can either like it or lump it. But if it gets you thinking about it, then that's fine. Uh-huh. It's not like I'm doing cartoons to just make people laugh. I don't 
and I'm not that sort of cartoonist. I mean, there are cartoonists who do that. I, I wouldn't have that talent. I appear on the comment page of the Irish Times, so it's a comment. So you can either like it or lump it or think about it or don't, whatever you like. It's up to you. Okay, but an interesting observation that I would make from my experience of working and travelling with you is that you read an awful lot. You listen to a lot of news, you watch a lot of documentaries, and they are influencing the way that you think and the way you engage with them. Yes, yes. Well, that's true. I, I do spend all day listening to things and reading things that other people would be bothered about, but it's because I'm interested. It's, it's, I find human psychology interesting, and I tried to switch from geography to psychology at university, and they said they didn't know whether it was because I was curious about other people's problems or whether I had problems of my own. <laughs> I, always, I always used to think it was because I was interested in other people's problems, but the older I get, the more I realise it was because I have problems of my own. But I'm, I'm, I'm just really interested in the way people act and react, and and that's what politics is really. It's it's sort of a um, a circus where people act and react. I'm doing my best. I'm doing what seems right to me. It's quite hard. For all the questions you asked, none of them are the things I ever think about. I mean, any opinion I have, it's just there. It's sort of been there all along. I, I never sort of work things through. I'm a bit of a bigot because I think I've had the same opinion since I was a child. <laughs> okay. I mean, I kind of admire people who actually go through a process of, I used to be a fascist, but now I'm a communist sort of thing. Although they're quite closely related, but <laughs> um, that's kind of interesting, you know, that some people can actually sit and work out that they've been thinking perhaps the wrong way all their life. So uh, thanks, Martin Turner. Thanks for a number of things, uh, for the work over the years, very many years. Thanks also for the perspective that you've brought to bear in your political cartoonist. And thanks for the friendship and the working together in developing those ideas. Certainly, you've influenced my own thinking and my own way of looking at the world. Thank you. Thanks to the very tall Martin and the not-so-tall column for that. Some really re interesting reflections. The most lasting perhaps being that in this absurd world we find ourselves in, we're better off saying something than nothing. A foundation for what this exhibition and project is all about, really. It is worth noting that in this particular episode, it was recorded during the height of lockdown, so apologies for the sound quality. It was the best we could manage. From a journalist's cartoons to a journalist's words, our next guest is Orla Ryan from thejournal.ie, who not only contributed to the exhibition, she spoke at the launch night also. I spoke with Orla about her on-the-ground experience in Kenya, documenting women's rights issues. The Irish Global Solidarity in 100 Objects podcast is brought to you by developmenteducation.ie, an online resource from consortium partners AidLink, Concern Worldwide, the Irish Development Education Association, the National Youth Council of Ireland, Self-Help Africa, 
Trokra and 8020 Educating and Acting for a Better World with support from Irish Aid. And if you've listened this far, you win the prize. The 100 Objects podcast is hosted by Kira Regan. This episode was guest hosted by Colm Regan. The show is produced by Tony Daly, Kira Regan and Dylan Crean. And our theme music is by Jumpley. Jumpley.